Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com I'll never try a new thing again. I, I like how that's how we start this, uh, this very special episode of Cannabis Legalization News. With uh, Miggy yelling at the camera because we've just spent the past, what do you think, 10 minutes? About 10, 15. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I got another error on my Facebook that I tried to zoom it on there for. All right, well, uh, I guess basically the internet doesn't work on Fridays. Fucking hey, dude. Yeah. I think it's uh, the man trying to keep us down. Well, you figured the man would be working for us by now simply because uh, it's – uh, cannabis is basically legal, uh, no matter where you look. I mean, it's ninety-nine percent legal, and now I'm kind of well, yeah. But uh, it was a crazy week over here. I mean, my phones exploded and um, took a lot of calls, and I gave a presentation on Wednesday, so that's why I wasn't able to make it then. Sweet. Well, good, man. So, how was your week? Dude, it's been a crazy week overall, uh, even here in Seattle area. Um, really? Seattle Hemp has, has now uh, done a lawsuit against our uh, liquor control, liquor and cannabis board, our regulatory body. So you guys are suing over Hemp Fest now? Or Hemp Fest is suing them. For uh, what, are, what are they trying to do on Hemp Fest? Are they just trying to keep it down or what? So, yeah, I mean, essentially, so what the, the Liquor Control, Liquor and Cannabis Control Board is trying to do is uh, tell Fest and all these people who grow and whatnot that they can't advertise at Fest. I mean, that's the, the bread and butter for these guys, you know, is sponsorship. It's a, it's a 501 nonprofit, no shit, fucking, uh, it, it's a freedom of speech type, uh, you know, issue. Hmm. Yeah. So that, that's going down. That sucks. I mean, I, over in Illinois, we don't have to put up with um, our hemp festivals being like very, very uh, established and empowered like that. All of ours are basically startups. Well, I mean, it's, it's we're going into its 28th year. At this point, all this uh, regulation is overreaching. It's it, it, What they're doing is one of the rules is they can't uh, uh, for like advertisements. It's some of the stupidest rules I've, ha- I've ever heard. Like, uh, a place can't give away T-shirts or, or give away swag. Like, It's weird. I mean, they have some rules that are built into the Illinois law about how you're not allowed to advertise to children or stuff like that. But I haven't heard anything so so restrictive 
like they said, no swag, no nothing like that. Are they just trying to like stop branding at all, at all costs of the the hemp fest, or what's the what what's the state or the city going after by doing this type of things? Well, it's the state. The, it's they're known as the Washington State Liquor Control Board or mm-hmm. Liquor and Cannabis Board now, and um, so it's just part of their regulatory rules as far as advertising. I, I personally think it's overreaching when it comes to um, like another uh, grower got a thousand dollar fine for uh, not having his disclaimer big enough on his page. So it's just petty nickel and dime shit in, in an actual marijuana magazine. That's kind of like saying, "Hey, wait a wanna- second." So, like, his is he didn't have a disclaimer large enough in the marijuana publication itself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have they have, they're putting these regulations into not necessarily when it comes to like that uh, of like in an actual magazine, but they are putting regulations into where you can advertise and that you can't advertise for cannabis. But uh, I always thought that was different than what they're trying to do over in Seattle. But that that fucking sucks, dude. Yeah, the board just overreaches with some weird ass fucking rules. Um, I, you know, the, the infrastructure is good enough uh, where I think they can step down. <laughs> you know, they helped establish the the inner commerce market, the the tier system, but at this point, they're just nickel and diving people, saying uh, you can't give away T-shirts. We're gonna shut you down here. We're gonna fine you for doing this. Uh, I've heard people getting fines for giving away a pen at, at the shops. So, well, they're going to do weird shit. They're going to do weird shit. But have you heard, like, better news out of uh, Washington, D.C. when it comes to the, uh, what is it called, the Safe Banking Act? Oh, yeah. That's been a yeah. good thing, huh? Well, it is. I mean, as that gets further and further along the legislative process, if that that's really what I think is going to happen. I don't think it's going to be uh, descheduling marijuana before you have an opportunity to give the banks – a chance to get in and to mature the industry and to prepare it for when they could go to wall street. You know, it's just, you, you don't necessarily change the, the legislative rubric before you've given the insiders a chance to wet their beaks. Hey, did you see, uh, because of the, uh, the FDA recent still haven't come to a conclusion, uh, some stocks have dropped because of it, you know. Uh, Cannabis stocks are highly, highly speculative. So, yeah, they're going to drop. But we're still in the public comment period. You could kill, still Google, like, you know, public comments on cannabinoids, FDA, and you'll find the, and we should put it in the description as well, uh, a link to that where you can then make your own public comments. And if you do own a, a CBD or a cannabis, I mean, I think all, any cannabis, including marijuana, uh, shop can still make their public comments to the FDA and, and allow them to make regulations that allow the industry to continue to grow as opposed to stifle the industry. Yeah. You know, I know you're from the perspective cause you're, you're focused on Illinois and, you know, I, I try and see the uh, different uh, grander picture just like, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but a federal judge recently denied a tribe uh, their request to grow industrial hemp. I don't, get, I don't get how that works. Here, we post in the comments or in the in the, the YouTube. But uh, I, I saw this today, and it just shows how we're still filling this out. For, for me personally, I don't understand how a reservation is going to ask permission to do anything. They're they're a, they're a nation, a sovereign nation themselves. Right, but then uh, I thought they were still governed somehow, and I am not an Indian lawyer, so I, I'm a Native American lawyer. I don't understand how the the relation between the tribes and and the, the federal government 
But whenever you are reading the uh, statutes regarding um, hemp, it always does say state or Indian tribe. Well, what's, what's interesting here in Washington, what they did was, and when 502 was coming about, when legalization was coming about, the lawyers for Washington actually had a contract, it has a contract with uh, the tribes because they were afraid they're going to be undercut by the tribes. So there's actually a, a trade agreement with Washington State and, uh, and the tribes here where they won't be undercut. Crazy. Yeah, some of the states, I went to law school in Wisconsin, and that state has a lot of Indian casinos. And I thought that was how they always kind of got around some of the laws. Maybe they were going to do the same thing when it comes to marijuana. But then, you know, because they have that sovereignty, well, we don't allow gambling in Wisconsin, but they do allow it in the Potomatomy tribe, which is down the block at the Indian casino. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, like, like they're their own nation, their own self-ruling governance. But, uh, but as far as you guys go, I mean, is it technically legal today? Uh, it's not technically legal. It has been legalized uh, by both houses of the legislature in Illinois, and it's huge. Like, I just got done because I've had so many clients come in. Oh, and that's one of the reasons why we've called this episode Dank Supply. Hi, welcome to Dank Supply. Uh, it, it has to do with this method that I, because I'm really into the hemp industry and also the cannabis industry, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, you know, it would be really cool uh, for, the, for the show and then also for my edification and for helping other people in the end, for other companies in the industry and get into it and understand how the, uh, the flowers actually grow. And if I could have like a grow house or uh, a, um, a greenhouse or some type of cultivation facility, but with the marijuana cultivation facilities, like it's in the rules uh, that here uh, for this is just the provisions on craft grow that you're not really allowed to give tours. You know, they're, you're not allowed to have, let other people inside of that facility because they have to have a license to get in and all that's very controlled, very regulated. We don't want any marijuana going and slipping out the back. Meanwhile, it is easy, easy to get a hemp license and there's none of these restrictions or taxes or anything on it. So it's the same flower hemp flower, cannabis, uh, marijuana flower. Uh, you could grow the hemp flower with the facilities that you'd use to grow the marijuana flower and give like tours and explain to people how it fits into the grid and how you can make the systems more uh, energy efficient. And then, you know, why that makes good flower and why you would want to do your trim this way and why you would want to seal your product with nitrogen and all those different things. And then, you know, I could make it like a whole, uh, YouTube studio slash uh, cannabis studio and then call it, call it dank supply. These well, are the I, types I, of things that I, I think of when I'm, when I'm helping uh, clients out. I think dank supply would be a good Craigslist for weed too. Uh, it probably already is. It probably already is. Well, you know, the B2B business where people are afraid to, uh, uh, you know, it should be simple where somebody says, Hey, I have a hundred seeds or whatever. And somebody says, Hey, I'll buy those hundred seeds from you. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? We have so much, uh, uh, you know, people being flagged on social media, having accounts taken down. There's no real play space for uh, this uh, B2B for uh, like cannabis or hemp. Well, it's 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 because it's you know totally illegal. That's one of the reasons why there's none of those types of spaces because it has you know it's it's been legislative out of uh, permissibility. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's a crime. Uh, and then as the certain crimes stop being crimes, it is pretty neat. Um, it looks like the craft growers are going to have a severe uh, case of application stack 
I mean, that, the applications for the craft growers in Illinois look like they will come in fairly thick. And they have to have all, well, it's, you know, just going over and talking to other people in different states where they've had more years of liberalization of these laws and just how small the opportunity window is in Illinois, at least in what they're calling the first wave. So they have like all the players that are already there in medical marijuana. Those ones are going to be the cultivators. Those ones get to the door first. They're going to be the ones that are in business on the first of uh, the year. But then come uh, May of 2020, they're going to award 40 cultivation centers. Uh, but those cultivation centers applications, and there's like 15 different aspects to that application that needs to go in it. Uh, they are going to need to be uh, submitted by the first of the year. So there's going to be like five months where you like apply and you don't know if you got it. And then there's going to be a few months where you have to put the actual application together. And those applications for your craft grows, you have to have the plan, like, before. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you need to know all the stuff. And, like, there's there's restrictions, not restrictions, there's requirements on the HVAC and the watering and then the electrical and the zoning and where it can be. And what's that one? How is the business practice going to promote economic empowerment in disproportionately impacted areas? I mean, that's the whole social equity of it as well. And only 40 spots. You know, that's still a hard um, uh, gamble because that happened here in Washington where they had the open for licenses and, and people won licenses and had big plans. And then when they went to implement the plans, uh, zoning was an issue. Uh, many people couldn't... Uh, you know, put the place where they thought they were going to have a business. So pretty much people lost hundreds of thousands uh, of their own uh, retirements, you know, to plan. Did that come back? Well, let me ask about this then. So that was like getting out the gate. Now yeah. that it's a few years more mature, has things uh, settled down and stabilized in the industry? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a more of assurance. Like if you buy a license, you know, you're going to be able to have a facility. Um, some licenses are being sold with the facility. So there's a, more of a stabilization, but at the same time, there are places that have moratoriums still, too. So people yeah. are trying to fight those moratoriums as well. Cool. I mean, like, when you say licenses, I mean, there's gonna, there's restrictions as, from buying and selling in this for certain time periods, and then also who can own it. So uh, did they start with a fixed number of licenses in uh, Washington State when you guys were getting started? Well, yeah. I mean, here's a crazy way of our infrastructure is – there is a three-tier process. So you got the producer, the grower, and he grows, and then uh, he sells it to the processor. So once he's going to package it, whatever. It was probably within the past two years they changed the rule where your producer can be a processor as well. They, at first, you couldn't package your own shit. You had to sell it to a processor. They've, they've done something similar in this. So the cultivate, I'm so the craft grower can also be their own processor. We have ours called like the infuser license. So a lot of kitchens. So a lot of the people that want to make, well, it's not just kitchen, you know, because then there's also the topicals and those types of things that they're doing now with, uh, with the flour. That would be a processor for us because uh, the guy would sell his flour to whoever who's going to extract that, turn it into whatever oil that's going to be infused with uh, whatever product. You know, we have a lot of white labeling product out here as well. So, I mean, someone can throw a name how on many, it. How many, how uh, many, how hard is it to get a cultivation license in the state of Washington? Now it's pretty damn hard. I mean, there is a freeze on it. Uh, they, they have X amount of licenses available. So 
you, there's people selling theirs and trying to flip it and trying to make good money. But, you know, unless, and that's the other problem, man. You see a lot of these uh, out-of-state investors, a lot of Canadian companies coming in. Uh, uh, Weekend Unlimited, I don't know if you've ever heard of this company. Uh, they're, they're a Canadian company. And I met them uh, at a, uh, at a, at a uh, blowing of the biggest bomb. There was like parts of the biggest bomb. It sounds like something that would happen in Washington State. The blowing yeah, of the biggest cool. bong party. Hmm. Oh, no, no. It was a pretty awesome experience at a, a glass blowing shop. But, you know, just seeing all these people with fucking fat checks uh, from out of country, it, it just kills me. Yeah. Well, that's that's gets back to one of the reasons why I think that the Safe Banking Act is kind of acting as this bridge. Well, the Safe Banking Act hasn't been adopted yet, but I think that one of the reasons why it's going to win out uh, and I, I don't even know if they'll ever up or down vote it, but I think it'll become law with the budget because of that problem where all these fat checks are coming from out of the country. And so they the, the, the powers that be, the operators that are American, they see the writings on the wall. They're like, hey, if all of a sudden this stuff's uh, legal, what's to happen? What's to stop Canada and Colombia from rushing in and taking the market and then crowding out the um, the the local markets and the way that the Illinois law is written is really about keeping that market fairly local. So how many, how many cultivation types do they have in Washington state? Do they have like different sizes of cultivators like they do in Colorado or what? Yeah, we have them called, they're called tiered, uh, tiered growers, tier one, tier two, tier three, tier one being the biggest, uh, probably, you know, I, I can't give you the exact square footage, but they're, they're pretty damn huge. But even that's, that's not what we have yet. Like Illinois might catch because that sounds just like Colorado, but Illinois might have to catch up to Colorado and Washington State over the course of the next five years with a tiered system. There's the craft, and that one is like only so many square footage of canopy space, and then there's just the cultivation. And I'm not sure if they have an upper limit on a uh, on a uh, canopy space, or if it's just they have that license they can grow as much as they can grow. Yeah, no, it's an um, uh, uh, interesting uh, setup, too, because it's all about square footage for us here. And so mm-hmm. some people are uh, <clears throat> smart enough to um, use that square footage, and they grow in tiers, you know, start with the clones and whatnot. So you have maybe a three-tiered system in one room because they're, they're, they're trying to work with X amount of square footage, period. And wow. like uh, amount of plants, but just the size of your room. It's a crazy little setup. No, the one in Illinois is about canopy space. So it says like, you know, yeah, this much square footage of canopy space in flower and then uh, like this much of canop- or square footage in total. So okay. they, they kind of do those types of two restrictions back onto it. But uh, are there various – so as you go up the numbers, because like I said, there's basically like no Illinois uh, cultivators licenses that look like they're available. I mean, they're there, but they're, they really might not be awarded at all. Uh, so are you able to like traverse, are there fixed numbers of individualized license? So are there like 10 tier one, 30 tier two, 50 tier three or what? You know, I'm not sure about that one, but I believe they are, uh, designated by area. So only like X amount of uh, license will be in here in Western Washington, X amount will be in Eastern Washington. And I think that has to do with an opportunity type thing as far as, uh, you know, we can't have all the licenses in one area. Type right. Yeah, as far as the action, I'm actually looking right now at the uh, the LCB's uh, rules. 
Cool. Yeah, that's 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 the thing that's going to get these guys, though. I mean, like just reading the uh, the craft grow. I mean, they, yeah, they're oh, there it is. HVAC cannabis grow operations with less than six thousand square feet of canopy. Well, there you go. Well, yeah, and see for uh, us here in uh, Washington, I'm looking at it right now. It says new applications, producer license not accepting applications, processor not accepting. So you know they're maxed out right now. You have to find uh, someone selling their license. Yeah, and that's they they call for a max out of 150 uh, craft cultivation, but then they also. So that's a strange thing. They're probably going to have to amend it if they want to go over 150 because they have uh, methodologies to try to control the supply of cannabis to make sure that we have an adequate supply of it. And that might get just get surpassed by having only 150 craft cultivators in like three, four years. I don't know. It's really going to be interesting to see what the demand is in Illinois and if people are going to be able to keep up with it. And it's, you know, the only people that are going to be open for business are going to be like your Green Thumb Industries, your Cres- your Crescos, your Revolutions, your Nature's Grace and Wellness, the the mar- uh, medical marijuana growers that are currently in the state of Illinois. And that's, that's unfortunate. You know, I, I think that all states should have done it like Oregon did. It was just a turnkey situation. What did Oregon do? It was turnkey. So if you were a medical grower and part of the medical operation, you're automatically recreational. You automatically have the chance to be a recreation. The only thing that they uh, they made for their medical uh, uh, patients was uh, a section of the pot shop had to be just for uh, medical patients. You know, oh, that's weird. We're, I think what Illinois is going to do is similar to what they do in uh, Colorado for, you know, there's going to be two prices, price one for medical, price two for recreational, and they're just going to reflect the different type of taxation that's on on them. Yeah, you know, and, and, and like you said, supply and demand of watching what happens. It's going to be a, a, you know, there'll be a flex with that. Hey, you got a question from uh, Cypress TK off topic. Tom, I sent an email. I hope it didn't end up marked as spam. Whenever you're not busy, I would appreciate it if you could check it out. I get some questions. I can't find answers for it. Uh, yeah, I actually did. So that, that probably, you know, it gives us an opportunity to try to find where did that guy email me? Uh, there, there it was. Uh, yeah, like the, the questions that, uh, Cyprus asks, you know, one of them, if County A allows recreational and County C has a, a lounge with consumption, those types of hypotheticals, they call for more hypotheticals because they, I don't know of any place that allows for a lounge for consumption or are these types of, uh, recreational use in one County versus another County. Uh, typically those are like on a statewide, uh, thing. Then of course, you know, a municipality can make a, no, I don't think they can. It, and it's going to depend on how they're written. Have you ever heard, uh, maybe have you ever heard of like, a, like in California, can they, because they've, they've legalized it there through ballot initiative, can one city say like, no, we're still going to keep it criminalized? Yeah, well, they have moratoriums. They just can't grow there. You know, like, yeah, like, that's kind of what I thought. Like they, they don't have to allow the cultivation, but they just can't say that like, it's still illegal. I mean, like your exactly. state has spoken to it, so... You know, you kind of have these hierarchies and laws. So, like, if the municipality says, uh, you know, oh, murder is legal here. We don't recognize the state of Illinois' prohibition against murder, provided that it's done according to the church doctrine of, uh, you know, uh, right. Uh, but, no, they, they don't – they aren't going to be able to allow that. And then um, so these lounges, that is kind of an interesting thing. Have you seen 
uh, I've, I've seen some coming out of Chicago and I've seen some coming out of New York. Have you seen these uh, speakeasies or like the, that they're having or the, they're calling them like cannabis supper clubs? Have you seen those? I So up here, uh, when it was medical, consumption was happening on all over the place. Dude. There was I could buy dabs at the same place. They'd have a sub, section section off for me where I can go do my dab, take a minute and then go home. Uh, and then some places even open up uh, just specifically for that. Uh, there used to be uh, the Northwest Cannabis Market. They actually moved down south to Oregon, and now they're the Northwest Cannabis Club. And that's all it is. It's just a place for uh, safe consumption. Huh. But, you know, yeah. the, the, the party thing is something that, like, my friend and I are trying to work out now. We want to do events and uh, have cannabis consumption and uh, drive on the bus. And uh, it's a fun time. But with the uh, our regulators cracking down say like with the seattle hemp fest stuff you know they're right. saying people can't sponsor things um that's gonna be an issue because that's how we're gonna rely on trying to pay for this bus and all the other amenities that yeah. we provide um just but see with seattle hemp fest i'm very curious on how uh the influence of an agency uh, an arbitrary agency has over this because hemp fest itself is a non-profit protest right so everybody's voluntarily there um, the money that comes in when people buy booths and whatnot pays for the, the functionality of it. So, yeah. uh, you know, and, and the thing about Seattle Hemp is, even though it's a protest for cannabis, there's always been that one statement where they don't encourage consumption, right? And they always say, don't consume, right? So, well, at least like, even alcohol gets to say, hey, don't forget to drink responsibly, yeah. but yeah, you can so, still drink responsibly. Yeah. But my, 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 my thinking is, though, too, so if the LCB is trying to dictate what this protest does, but yet they don't promote consumption, they just promote uh, health and wellness about it. So how are you going to come and, and dictate uh, uh, what is advertised and what not? You know, that seems to be a very crazy quandary that can help out maybe me when I have my small event. Maybe. But then, uh, you know, you should have the right to advertise. But then what – you have to look at what laws they're trying to protect. I mean, if it really is in the regulations, like, sorry, there's no advertising for marijuana allowed, and that qualifies as advertising for marijuana. And some of that might actually be in the statute. But here is an example of what we were talking about with the supper clubs. This – how is this anything but, like, plain Jane, like, this is – so marijuana supper clubs in Chicago, all right? It's not criminal enterprises. It's a dinner party, all right? But this dinner party is people are, are five-course meal, I understand, at $115 a ticket, and they have cannabis in there. And yeah. so, like, that's, that's, that's straight up, all right, that's – it's not um, – you know, it's it, – whoa, I'm not sure why I zoomed in like that. That's weird. Uh, that's what I get. For trying technology, but it's not like these uh, supper clubs aren't uh, dealing drugs because it's literally what they're doing. I mean, they're they're having somebody come over for dinner and they're charging you a fuckload of money for it. But you know, the, the thing is too, and this is what we're doing in Washington. How we're trying to get around some stuff is private parties, right? So, right. If uh, we have these buses that we we do pick up people and we give them rides and we consume and we have a good time. Uh, and it's very safe. You know, the driver's sober perfectly, and we're all having a good time. But, you know, with like that costs money. You know, the bus costs money. The goods that we're consuming costs right. money. Uh, so, like, there should be a lot of these sponsors. But in the end, it's just a party with uh, uh, 
private individuals. You know, it's not a drug deal. Well, okay. People were still paying money for drugs. Uh, but, of course, it's in Chicago. So maybe they – I'm not – they decriminalized and maybe they just don't care so much that they're now able to do these types of things, but it would still constitute like the untaxed usage of cannabis. So maybe they'll crack down on them or maybe they'll get, uh, could this be, I don't see why it couldn't. Could this be covered by the infuser license in Illinois? Maybe, maybe it could be covered by an infuser license. I don't know. I'd have to read that section. Well, I think the biggest thing too, is you're going to have to figure out, Whoever's controlling your liquor is going to be the same person that controls the, the cannabis rules. And no, so, it hasn't. You know who they're putting in charge in Illinois? They are putting in charge the liquor department. Really? No, they're putting in charge the uh, USDA. Well, the Department of Agriculture. It's not the USDA in Illinois. It'd be the Illinois Department know. of Agriculture. Yeah, the Department of Medicinal Plants has been growing. And so they didn't put they, – they haven't put it into, like, tobacco, alcohol, or those types of regulatory bodies. They put it into the Department of Agriculture, and then they have one particular wing in there for medicinal plants. And it started with, me, with medical cannabis, and then it expanded this year to hemp. And then from the review of uh, Illinois, uh, Illinois' adult use law, the Regulate and Tax Cannabis Act, or the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act, um, that – that is expanding. And I mean, they're the same because like, did they, do they have scoring in Washington state for your applications? Um, not that I know. Of. All right. Well, in Illinois with, with both these new ones, these new cultivators, the craft ones, and then also the medical marijuana cultivators, they had to do these applications. Those applications are then scored. It's not all that dissimilar that is, is going into the other States now, uh, for the, uh, cultivation facilities, they have to apply and then get scored based on whether or not the uh, plants are going to be able to actually do the job and then also comport with the, uh, the, the purposes of the law and then, you know, uh, have the right team and have the right people that are involved. So that's one of the reasons why these applications are going to be so expensive is simply because you have to have everything ready to go before you go. Usually people are able to, and that, well, you have, you have to have everything ready to go before you're given the permission to go, which is even more nerve wracking. Well, and, and, you know, those, so we don't have those supper parties in Washington, but they have them in LA. I've seen them, uh, uh, you know, they have these impromptu, you know, they, they call them secret sessions or whatever the hell you want to name it. You know, Bong Appetit. Have you ever yeah. seen that? Yeah, Bong Appetit. Good show. Well, I want to live in that house. Oh, man. I want to have, like, because I want that weed closet, you know. It's like, well, time to cook something. Better see what we have in the weed closet. Oh it was just, just jars of beautiful nuggets. So did you hear about the VA and uh, the veterans being denied fucking home loans? I, I didn't hear about them being denied home loans. I've heard about them being denied uh, access to medical cannabis and that veterans have to be very careful with their medical cannabis use because it might jeopardize the, the health care they do get from the VA. Yeah, so I just posted a comments. Well, recently, a bunch of lawmakers put on a, a letter uh, to press the VA on to uh, not do denials, but there was a story. Uh, he's not named. He didn't, be, he didn't want to be named, but uh, he works in the cannabis industry in Massachusetts, and uh, he applied for his VA loan. He's a manager of a store, and his he got denied saying that his uh, occupation was uh, unreliable. His occupation is unreliable. Yeah. Uh, is, what, is, is that, 
I don't understand what it means by his occupation is unreliable. Does that mean that he, uh, because he works in cannabis, it could all just be seized from him, or what does that mean? I just think that they're they're using it as a Schedule One. It's you know, it's a uh, it's still a Schedule One, and so you know, just yeah. like the bank industry. Well, I mean, it, it is a banking industry, though. Uh, right. Because a VA loan works where the VA will make a promise to me that they'll if I get a hundred thousand dollar house that they'll cover whatever the uh, you know that thirty percent when you do that uh, when you buy a, a, a home for the first the down time. payment. Yeah, the down payment. With the VA loan, you don't have to do that. The, the VA says we'll cover that if there's ever an issue. And so the VA, it's a promise of no. And then I just go to the bank. They say, okay, you're good to go. Here's your loan. But if he can't get past that point with the VA, the bank will never see him. Hmm. It's a pretty fucked up situation. Yeah, the VA is probably like one of the worst aspects of it uh, when it comes to the Schedule One substance. I mean, I, I understand. Like, I still don't think that it's – they've been screwing the veterans over for this long. What's a few more years, which is a really callous uh, statement, but at the same time, it's no, it's no more callous or no less callous than the, uh, the continuation of schedule one cannabis. The, the, the real thing though, is just that with, with making the safe banking act, the actual law, you're going to allow these, these financial institutions to be able to provide services to those companies and those companies are then going to be able to get ready to go toward wall street and get listed and, and then also have the ability to expand their operations so that they'll be ready to compete when schedule one cannabis is a thing of the past. But what do you do for all the veterans that are out there that are, you know, yeah, that's, that's what really sucks. I mean, that, that was the thing that um, the VA, I, I, I can't remember. It was a couple months now. They, we uh, we were following them at the time, and they, they actually have a Twitter account. And the Twitter account is, like, not followed at all, which I thought was, like, really, really funny. Uh, and it would it would tweet out stuff that, you know, would support the, the Trump administration because the Trump – well, it's not the Trump administration. It's been all executives. But because the, the, the law says that it's a Schedule One substance, you can't use it, even though it's a, a federal benefit. And that that uh, in butting of heads between state and federal just sucks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's still another. It's just another example of people still getting hurt over this fucking bullshit prohibition. Yeah, yep. They still are, and they're still going to. I mean, like, um, not only that, they, they do have reasonable numbers and restrictions on who and who cannot get a liquor license. But I don't know if they necessarily have like a hard, fast number. It's like, hang on, we're only allowed to have 140 breweries in the whole state. That's it, and they, those are only 140 craft breweries. And we have to have a, a bureau that's in the Department of Agriculture watching the market to let us know when we have an adequate supply of beer. I mean, when you think of it that way, that sounds really silly. Yeah, yeah. Well, just like Oregon, who grew too much, but yet Nevada doesn't have enough in their border states. So, yeah, wouldn't it be lovely if um, uh, the, the cannabis that doesn't have anybody to smoke it in Oregon could somehow go to Nevada, and then all those people that are traveling to Nevada to smoke and also gamble could have uh, some nice Colorado homegrown. Yeah, there's a lot of issues. Uh, I mean, what do you think about this recent uh, death? Oh, oh yeah! Like the, you sent me the link, and that link was—it's one of those things that uh, sometimes in cannabis news stories. There is the bombastic claim that somebody dies of a THC overdose. 
it, 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 it's silly. It's just silly. But, uh, yeah, you sent me one around. It was from MJ9.com, Louisiana Corner. Right there, you should be suspect. I'm not sure any Louisiana Corner is those. Well, I'm not going to say that. Louisiana Corner says woman died of THC overdose. <laughs> I question the educational system now. It's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, the coroner's claim uh, would make it the first ever reported death of a marijuana overdose, but the result is also driving fire from skeptics. No shit. It's, I've been uh, trying for 20 years to overdose, and it hasn't worked out yet. Are you, are you sure that you're using enough THC? Maybe you just haven't inhaled correctly. Maybe I got to do that extra strong dankness. Oh, yeah. You need, you need that. You need the extra strong dankness. But the toxicology report said she had a 8.4 nanograms per milliliter of blood, which really I don't think is all that high. I don't know. I'm not really familiar with how many nanograms per milliliter of blood my current THC levels are at. I, I, I just don't see how much THC. First off, THC is psychoactive. It's not a, 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 a wreck to your body. Like, it doesn't stop your heart. It's not going to – you might have a little stress. You might, you know, a little freak out once in a while, but it's not going to kill you. Well, hang on. Hang on. That's not according to this Louisiana coroner. Uh, <laughs> uh, this Louisiana – St. John the Baptist Parish Coroner Christy Montague told the New Orleans Advocate that the woman's death could be a case, the first death uh, on record solely as a result of THC exposure. Uh, And then uh, Montague went on, I think that's how you pronounce it. Again, uh, it's because it's in Louisiana, there's a lot of French influence down there, and I can just totally butcher your name. Uh, I'm, so the, the coroner would reach for comments said, I'm thinking this lady must have vaped this THC oil and got a high level in her system, and it made her stop breathing like respiratory failure. Like thousands of years of all this use and consumption, and this one lady is the lady that dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the news. <laughs> Well, and then, of course, there, somebody was uh, reached for the counterpoint, and then uh, a former senior policy advisor at the White House Office of Drug Control Policy had a different take, uh, Ken Humph- or Keith Humphreys. He said, we uh, know from really good survey data that Americans use cannabis products billions of times a year collectively, not millions of times, but billions of times. So that means if the risk of deaths was one in a million, we would have a couple thousand cannabis overdose deaths a year. Especially in the now recreational states. Yeah, uh, it's it's part of me thinks that there is a coroner in Louisiana named Montague that right now is going got on the national news. I told you I could do it. I told you I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's given though, man. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, like we live in a fame hungry culture. I could see. Uh, a sleepy backwater bird like that saying, like, yeah, I'm going to say something stupid, see where it gets me. Work for Trump. <laughs> yeah, see where it gets. <laughs> what else we got going on? Well, I mean, like, the, the week with Illinois was just ridiculous. I mean, like, that's the weird thing. Uh, last Friday, there was Illinois uh, legalizing it for the first time legislatively. And meanwhile, the FDA is having their hearing as to where to place uh, or what to do with CBD 
And that pretty much just I, – I haven't really heard much from it. I, I got swept under the rug for me simply because of the excitement surrounding Illinois. Well, and let's not forget the one that got me uh, by surprise was Delaware. Well, the Delaware, I, I can't believe that those ones hadn't legalized yet uh, because they're smaller and they're also New England. So I figured that they were a little bit more liberal, like, like Vermont. Vermont's legalized, right? Well, and Delaware is on the border of like Maryland and uh, uh, you know the D.C. area. I used to travel there, and it's still a very conservative. Twenty more years ago, it was a very conservative area still. I'm sure it but, still uh, is, you know, uh, or yeah. it's like wealthy. So, like, a, you know how risk averse the rich are. They have a lot to lose. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to be cautious. And, but Delaware, they, they're gonna, they're making headway. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, crap. I meant to uh, go back to uh, returning to one of Cypress's questions. Uh, let's see here. If you would qualify for a card in Illinois but couldn't afford it and he had to travel from a neighboring state, Oh uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, you're not going to be able to qualify then, like even if you can or can't afford it. I don't think that uh, in medical marijuana states you are able to get a medical card if you do not live in that state. You know? I think you're correct. It's got to be a residency thing. Yeah, kind of like you know, you can't grow your own uh, in America. Well, not America. You can't grow your own in the state of Illinois after January 1st of 2020 unless you are both a resident of the state, it's also your primary residence, and also you are a medical patient. And you know, the, the whole state singularity thing is one of the reasons why I think uh, branding is a hard uh, thing for people to stand by, you know, uh, because you don't have the same weed or uh, same type of cannabis in Washington that you do in California. So those guys, same company, is going to have to get two different farmers to supply their product, which I think... Mm-hmm. It's kind of deceiving when you, you know, I, I understand, like, you want to trust the brand and say, okay, this is what I'm going to go to. But when I go to McDonald's, that burger tastes the same in every state. I go to- that's the branding. That's the expectation. But that's really, really difficult. And that's one of the reasons why they, the cultivators, they try to grow and they, they try to standardize all these practices. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time trying to standardize my practices and my uh, legal practice every day. It's... But branding, I think, is really where people are able to make the differentiation and in the very competitive field that it is, uh, make a profit. Well, and, and with branding, though, with, with cannabis, too, when it comes to growing, you're not going to be able to grow the same plant over and over because it's just the way genetics work, you know. And I, I would consider each grow more of a batch, you know. that That's how it should be looked at. Like, this batch just got grown, you know, and uh, a blue dream. Uh, right. Uh, from whatever grower in Washington, and then you sell that internationally or nationally, mm-hmm. uh, that's the only way you're going to be able to have that consistency because if you have those state boundaries where each person has to get a different thing, the blue dream grown here is not going to be the same blue dream. You know, maybe they have a... Right. I mean, like, think of... They could try to standardize the practice as much as they want. And I think that... Uh, well, that's a, that's really the, the, the struggle then because, I mean, that, that McDonald's burger whether you eat it in Nebraska or whether you eat it in Maine, it's going to taste the same and they aren't sourced from the same factory. So that blue dream that's grown, whether it's grown in California or it's grown in Illinois, provided that that blue dream was grown the exact same way and put together the same way, it should taste and look and smell exactly the same. Of course, you know, it's a plant, so there are tiny micro variations, but if you, 
those will just be like aesthetic ones when you're looking at it, hopefully. Did you hear about the uh, story about the cancer patient who uh, ordered 42 pounds of chocolates infused from a California dispensary? I, I heard that he got arrested. I did not read the rest of the story. I mean, that really that, that blows. Uh, but why did he order 42 pounds of this chocolate? Why did, did he live outside of the state? Yeah, I believe that I'm about to. I just copied and pasted the story, but it's uh, it looks like another case of uh, Alabama. Let me just check. Well, how did the well that doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you're an Alabama cancer patient, he didn't buy them on the internet, did he? Was how would he be able to buy these on the internet? It'd be one thing if he drove to California and said, "Give me 42 pounds of your strongest cannabis chocolate," and then try to drive it out of the state and got popped that way. But I don't get the setup on this. Well, and that's I, I question like if the actual dispensary sold it to him. You know, I I think that there'd be more coming down from that shop alone if they. Uh, Oh, it's Illinois. He's in, he's in Illinois. Oh, my God. Well, no, we have we have medical – cancer patients get medical cannabis in Illinois, so it's not like you needed to buy that then. I mean, uh, he's got a 2.5 well, – well, cancer patients might actually be able to have more than 2.5 ounces per two weeks. Uh, they might get special treatment. Kane County, is that bring about Kane County, yeah. It's, it's further north than where I'm at, but uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, so, so most likely he must have had a friend send it to him because, you know, that already is a federal thing. So that dispensary in California would have got braided and made a bunch of noise about it by now. I've heard the regulation. I mean, like sometimes uh, this dispensaries out in California are a little bit more lackadaisical uh, with their uh, adherence to rules and stricture than they are maybe like in an Illinois but that's, that's just what I've heard. I haven't really checked out California's legal marijuana scene. I'm just surprised he didn't find a local source. Yeah. No, I mean, like, he lived in Illinois. He could have had his medical marijuana card. He could have just got – maybe he didn't like the chocolates that are being produced in Illinois, but he could have bought a whole bunch of cannabis oil and then made his own chocolates. But, you know, it sounds like um, he did something stupid. Oh, Wobble says he was busted in 2014. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, because 2014 would have been before the law really took effect. And it was kind of, it sucked. Like, the, our, our medical marijuana law in Illinois sucked until at least, like, 2016. Um, I even remember when I first got my car in 2017, the production still was kind of shit. Uh, I'd go to Colorado, and I'd come back, and I'd be like, all right, cool, I'm going to get a vape pen. And I'm like, oh, your guys' vape pens in this state are lame. Uh, they've gotten a lot better, but couple of years there the, the the medical producers in the state were kind of weak it's just crazy though it's taken five years for this guy to see some sort of justice i mean what the fuck's going on with our system oh gosh i mean like courts in illinois courts all over the place are overloaded man people sue each other too much over dumb shit well this is a cannabis cases though i mean how many people are people suing each other over dumb shit cannabis cases you know but maybe with raids, the people who, who had things confiscated uh, uh, or uh, uh, asset forfeiture, you know, people's lives are ruined in one moment, and then they got to wait five years just to defend themselves. It just seems to me uh, uh, not speedy justice. Justice delayed is justice denied, right? But um, it happens all the time. Like litigation takes a long, long time, and there's a lot of steps to it. Um, I'm assuming criminal prosecutions do as well. I've never, I've never been in a 
criminal courtroom. I've never done family cases. You know, I'm strictly business. Yeah. But, uh, and then speak, speaking of that vein, back to the clients I used to represent, Federal Reserve official pledges to tell banks they can start servicing hemp businesses, which is good because even in Illinois, some of these hemp uh, businesses, some of these banks are less likely to open accounts and to lend to hemp businesses. Some would be like, oh, we'll bank the hemp business, but we're not going to provide startup financing or, or something like that. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. And then it's it's going to be more interesting once they get that guidance. And that's going to be a piece that I'll be doing about uh, cannabis-related legitimate businesses and uh, the Safe Banking Act and how the state of Illinois has already put into it and I believe in the Illinois uh, adult use bill that just passed last week, that may have already been included or they might have already approved it previously. The Cannabis Banking Act in Illinois, which is just like the Safe Banking Act. So with the hemp laws, the hemp laws are, you know, the Farm Bill did it. And then a lot of states like, oh, my God, have you seen Iowa's um, hemp laws? No, they suck. Really? Oh, they're terrible. Like, uh, they are extremely, extremely uh, rigid about their licensing for who might get a license to farm hemp. They still, like, the hemp laws still ban, like, uh, CBD and stuff like that in there. And, like, you can't, like, use it. uh, And then also, they don't go into effect until the USDA. I mean, even though they're signed and they're on the books, so, like, Iowa can say they have a hemp law, but they don't have a hemp law because uh, they aren't going to be in force and uh, available to to cultivate until the USDA releases its rules, which might not be until 2020. So, you know, them saying that they have a hemp law is, is just, no, you don't. If you had a hemp law, we could be growing hemp. It's you have a you have a prohibition on having a hemp law until the feds say that you can actually grow it. And then also you still say, but you're not allowed to have the, uh, the CBD. I should. I should drop that one in the comments. I guess that was one of the things. I'm like, I, I, I started a, like a, a Facebook page called Illinois Adult Use Laws. And then, you know, people will be asking about various neighboring states. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean Iowa has hemp? And I look and I'm like, oh, they, it'd be like you, you saying you have something, even though you clearly don't have it. Yeah. That's essentially what they have. It's kind of like how, you know, if we were involved in the Cold War and no matter what we had, this, the USSR would be like, yes, we have that too. And like their shit was like not anything good. It was just like painted on. That's that's their hemp law. It's terrible. Well, it sounds to me like these bullshit tweets that Trump are throwing out about like stopping drugs, like this whole Mexico with the drugs. It's like, you know, it's not Mexico with the drugs. It's the Americans and their consumption. <laughs> it's nothing to do with Mexico. Right. Yeah, it, you know, I'm sorry. If Americans would stop like shoving everything down their face and into their veins – and maybe uh, and then deal with their addiction issues. Maybe they wouldn't have this huge influx of drugs coming up from Mexico to go into Americans because they like getting fucked up. And the biggest thing about that is, and when I used to live in Tucson, uh, it was been a known fact that marijuana was the main uh, uh, revenue generator for a lot of the cartels, just because Americans smoke pot, and that was like you're least risky when you got caught with it, right? You're you're, you're least demonized, least villainized uh, if you're smuggling a pound of fucking weed versus a pound of like meth. Right, right. Than that, but I mean, it's still uh, that stuff is what gets you in trouble. Um, the the most risky thing about the cannabis was getting caught with it, and exactly. it still is the most risky thing about the cannabis is getting caught with it, and yeah. it's kind of annoying. 
it's a it's it's a I, I think we're at this like uh, preacher's daughter syndrome where everybody's you know like woohoo when they turn eighteen and realize they've been lied to and uh, like oh we's not that bad so that means meth might not be bad you know oh yeah but that's that's ridiculous and that's one of the things why we really are trying to uh, get the cannabis legalized as fast as possible. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell everybody, and I understand that people are now like, well, now let's legalize mushrooms. Uh, that's that's fine. I don't think that there's going to be a very uh, much support for the people that are going to be like, well, let's legalize everything, even heroin, even heroin. Do we really want that legal? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't we, we still have stop signs, even though people would know when they come to an intersection to slow down, right? No, no, of course not. But, uh, the legalization of every substance isn't going to necessarily, it, it shouldn't happen. They should be regulated, but they should be regulated appropriately. They shouldn't just turn a blind eye to all the facts about a substance and say, well, we're going to treat this as if it was heroin under the law. Well, the biggest thing is, we know, we can take the Uruguay aspect. You know, they, they did legalize everything, but it's all controlled, you know. But cannabis is all, you know, fine. But say like here in Seattle, for whatever reason, dude, we have people with tents. Like they set up tents and sidewalks. Like that, but it's a homeless mental health drug issue, you know. Right. And so if they had a safe spot and there was a safe way for them to be treated as human beings, I think uh, there might be a way to turn a lot of this uh, sadness that we see in our streets. Because it's not just Seattle. There's homeless and, and bad everywhere, every big city, uh, and drug issues. It's yeah. just. Uh, uh, those really, and then especially a lot of them have the mental illness problem, uh, but there really isn't a lot of place where you can get treatment for mentally, mental health, uh, especially if you have no money. Uh, like the wealthy people maybe can afford to go to rehab or they, they can afford therapy. But a lot of people, especially after they started closing down all the asylums, which uh, turned out just to be like a, a place where you would send some people just to have them go away and not be in your presence. Uh, but as a result, not just as a result of that, but by, because those aren't really around anymore, where is the treatment? Do they get any treatment at all? Not really. And then you have these types of problems and what's their plan to fix it? Do they even have one? As far as like what, methadone and all that shit? Oh, well, you methadone. No, I mean like homeless and stuff. That's the thing. You, you can't throw millions of dollars and just say mental health because mental health means each individual person has their own little daddy issues or whatever it is. You know, you have to address it individually. It can't just be everybody's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's how that's, people are. I mean, I got to, I, I hate people. I love animals. So yeah. it's like, Oh, I'm gra- I'm glad that you've thrown your entire species under the bus for a different one. That's great. Uh, you're really going to help us out of this mess. Um, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I wish, and that's one of the cool things about the law that they have in Illinois. Maybe they're going to be able to fund some uh, mental health training, mental health classes. Uh, I think one of the things that we do in America is make sure that people are just paranoid and depressed and alienated enough from one another so they feel like they need to buy something new. Well, there's a lot of, in our justice system with the prohibition, it it allows for a lot of injustices. I'm about to share another story. This guy, uh, another old-timer, uh, 79-year-old pot bomber denied compassionate release for being blind. Oh, yeah. Gosh, look at that guy. He looks like looks like blind Santa Claus. I'm just saying, uh, you know, we can't go after real threats. We have to 
you know, these non-violence, non-threatening offenders, our priorities are messed up. Yeah, and then we just uh, talk about how our borders are falling apart and everything is something to be terrified over. Oh, my gosh. Didn't I, uh, did I did I laugh with you about the uh, the senator from last week on the floor? It wasn't the senator. It was in the House of Representatives last week in the floor of uh, Illinois about the uh, this is your brain on drugs thing. Oh, that's fucking brilliant, dude. That was, that was fucking brilliant. Oh, my gosh. I can't. But that's 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 still today. People believe everything. And it's and it's terrifying. And he's in charge of something. That's the sad part of it all. A lot of these people are in charge of things. That's again, it gets back to my God. That's terrifying. But that, a lot of people that are in administration are extremely competent, good people with nice hearts that just want to do their job, give back, go back to their families, and watch you know TV at night and and go back to work the next day. And that's how we all get by. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're not all going to hell in a handbasket, but some of us are. Yeah, no, I agree. Speaking of work, I got to go back to work. Oh, man, good. You do that. I'm going to go outside and sneeze. The allergies are acting up a little again. But um, big week in the cannabis legalization news. Next week, we'll be back hopefully on a Wednesday at 2 p.m. to discuss what happened then. All right, see you next time.